in this week's episode of ND Vision. And when I screened that, I ran for like a month worth of weekends at uh, Boomers, which is a club in Sio. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, la- yeah. I, I'm from Sio, so okay. I, I remember Boomers oh, yeah. quite, quite well. <laughs> no, the guy who built the house um, at one point, um, we found one of his notebooks, and in that he had the formula for making the paint. Oh, really? Which he did probably formulate his own paint, the Hall's Drug Source and, and Paints. Hello and welcome to this episode of ND Vision. Um, first off, this episode is being sponsored by The Wellsville Sun, and uh, let's do a cutaway. The Wellsville Sun is this area's premier news source. From the nitty-gritty breaking news stories, event promotions, feel-good community press releases, and so much more. Keep up with what's happening in your area with the Wellsville Sun online at wellswellsun.com and on social media. And we're back. So my guest today is Jay Wuffle, right? Yes. Um, who is one of the owners of the Pink House with his lovely wife. And uh, he's also a film director, producer, um, you name it, uh, he's done it, I, I feel like, in the film industry. So first off, Jay, why don't you just give me kind of a brief history about yourself? Um, I'm from, uh, Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Uh, my father and his father were both teachers at Ohio State University, which is what brought them from the New York area. Okay. I was like, there's three brothers. I'm the only one who actually graduated from Ohio State. So I got all those faculty build up, uh, you know, reduction in, uh, tuitions that hadn't been used up. Until oh yeah. <laughs> uh, um, my grandfather was brought from, uh, from New York city to Ohio state to form what we'd call the AV department. Or now it's like there's other teaching. It was teaching aids originally. Yep. And, um, he was big into, um, teaching is not just people on a blackboard, you know, you use audio visual material and all this stuff. So he was brought in to sort of start doing that. So they used to have these film strips you'd see in school where they go, the each slide would have a little bing. He had a record, mm-hmm. go bing and you change the slide and he did a lot of those. So uh, one of his TAs, um, two people who worked with my grandfather actually were professors of mine when I went to film school. Okay. Um, so I had done a, uh, one winter it was 18 degrees below zero for a long period of time. A friend of mine who has become a lifetime news cameraman works for the NBC station in Columbus and myself ran out of sledding to do, so we decided to like get the old eight millimeter camera, mm-hmm. not super eight, but eight millimeter, and um, shoot a movie and shoot some stuff. And um, shortly after that, I got a super eight millimeter camera and decided to make a James Bond parody, which was a stop motion animation thing. So I built all the sets and had all these model kits of tanks and stuff, and yeah. did this this James Bond. Uh, supposed to be like a parody. By the time I was done making it, I was a total like Bond head. You know? <laughs> um, so uh, once that was done, um, I showed it. My parents were like, well, you should show it to Dr. Wagner, who was a, who was a student under my grandfather because he's in the film department. And so I showed it to him. It ended up running 45 minutes long. <clears throat> so it wasn't a feature, but for Super 8, it was a feature. Right. So he said, yeah, you could have a, you could have a career in, in doing film stuff, which was, I had never really occurred to me. Mm-hmm. So he was like, well, you should come to Ohio state and take some classes and see, you know, this was a couple of years. I was still, I was not out of school yet, but, 
Um, now he thought I, sh I should like design sets and stuff. Cause you know, being a bond spoof that had to have all these big sets and yeah, I'd built all that stuff, but I just did that cause there was nobody else to do it. That wasn't really my prime focus. Right. So that's what got me started. Um, you didn't have any inspirations to go work for industrial light and magic <laughs> with your set. Design they, uh, yeah, <laughs> not, uh, yeah, not yet. No, okay. this was really before star Wars came out that I did that. My first thing. Okay. What, what, what time frame was this in then? This would have been. Eh, late i mean i graduated high school in 1980 okay so this would have been in the 1970s yeah wow. um i mean conray was no longer bond it's beyond that but yeah uh it's the roger moore era if we're going to time everything by james <laughs> bond movies that's a yeah spy who loved me was the first bond film i saw in a theater okay. i always tell people whatever bond movie you see first in a theater will probably be your favorite bond movie because they are more alike than different and you right. know you, you watch them on video or whatever but then when you really see one in the theater you'll be like ah <laughs> so that's it's anyway that's no longer my favorite but it's among my favorites anyway so yeah i just i started doing film school to just see what would happen um i got all straight a's except in photographic process that had a lot of chemistry involved mm-hmm most of that chemistry is no longer involved in filmmaking, just as film is no longer involved in filmmaking by and large. Very true. This is all digital today. <laughs> it's all digital. Yeah. In film school, mostly um, we had to shoot on video because film was expensive and mm. our department had more, they had an equal amount. Ohio state is, if anybody didn't ever noticed is a big football uh, school. Yeah. So the film department really grew out of the fact that they bought all this film equipment to shoot the football games. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, hey, why don't we like teach some stuff since we have this stuff laying around the rest of the year? Um, so in film school, initially we were shooting a lot of video. And I learned how to do video editing and a lot of the kind of quickness and, you know, uh, easiness to a degree of, of video. Yep. So then I moved to Los Angeles finally in around 1990. And... Uh, so I know film and video. I, I did a feature at Ohio State after I graduated from um, undergraduate school. Um, I did my the graduate project I did with this uh, producer, Sue Rosatka, and other people was called The Birthmark, which we actually shot at the Pink House. So we, okay. we can get to that later. But yeah. after that, I did a feature in Ohio uh, as a graduate um, project just because we'd done all these shorts. I made a lot of good friends in film school and the the key thing I discovered later was that at Ohio state with the friends I got to know, we all helped each other make movies. So mm -hmm. we all made a lot more movies cause it wasn't just my, I mean, you know, it was your turn or somebody else's turn, but we all helped each other. So we all made a lot more stuff. Right. Um, because when I started to meet filmmakers from other big film schools, if they were, you know, if they were lucky and they got to direct, they got to direct like one, what you might call a real movie, mm -hmm. a sync sound, you know, where I'd done, I'd done dozens of worked on dozens of films and done over a dozen myself by that point. So I did a feature. I moved to Los Angeles. Um, people there didn't really know or like videotape much, mm -hmm. but it was the era of where that was transitioning. So I was, I kind of learned both at a time when that was important because people in Los Angeles didn't understand video. And now are you talking beta or VHS? This was, uh, I think VHSC was like okay, coming yeah. along. A little smaller, a little <laughs> yeah, smaller yeah. ones. <laughs> and of course, yeah, beta. We didn't have beta. It was three quarter in film school. Yeah. Um, and then eight millimeter came out right around the time we were done. Eight millimeter video, not super eight and all that stuff. Right. So yeah, there were all these new formats all the time. And then eventually there was digital video and everybody was always talking about, uh, 
you know, oh, this new video format, it's just as good as film. It looks just like film. <laughs> and as Dean Cundy, the guy who shot Halloween and Jurassic Park, uh, who I actually got to know and work with briefly, um, but he didn't say this to me, but he his one phrase was like, well, if you want something to look like film, you know, we have that. It's called film. film. <laughs> so why are we all excited about all these new digital formats to look like? You know? Yeah. Now, eventually they got a resolution where now it's, you know, it's mostly digital. But anyway, so I moved to L.A. I started working at the American Film Institute as an editor because I'd learned in Ohio there was no film industry. If you wanted to make a movie, you had to do everything yourself. Right. Now you can much more easily because everybody has a workstation. You know, I tell people from 20 feet away, virtually every job looks the same. It's, yep. you know. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I went there as an editor. And then while I was editing, actually, that feature I'd done in Ohio, like, got released. Um, and so then I started showing that to people and people were like, Oh, you're not really an editor. You're really a director. And, uh, but yeah, I got to know everything. I got, I got to work in it. Well, music I'd done before film, but I knew music and then editing and shooting to a degree. I did shoot a feature before I directed one. I didn't okay. end up a friend of mine, Scott Spears and another guy, Jose Cardenas ended up being my DPs and still are to this day mostly, although I've worked with other people, uh, including Dean Cundy, who's no slouch. But um, DP is a uh, director of photography. Director of photography. Those don't know. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so while, when my feature came out, then people were, oh, you made a movie in Ohio and it actually got released in the United States because that was, you know, everybody makes a movie, but usually they like, sit in their closet, you know. Right. So, uh, you know, so, so I've been there ever since in Los Angeles working on one thing or another. Um, although I've contributed bits of dialogue and things like that to theatrical features, I've never directed a theatrical feature myself. Okay. Um, but if I'm not doing music for somebody, I'm editing for somebody or I'm directing and making a film for myself. My most recent film was released, uh, in about 2018. It all depends on once a movie comes out, then it, you know, comes out a year later here and there and called Asylum of Darkness. Um, okay. So that's my most recent feature, which turned out to be Richard Battlestar Galactica Hatch rather than Richard Survivor Hatch, <laughs> uh, which drove Richard Battlestar Galactica Hatch crazy because people were calling him up going like, oh, yeah, I hear you're naked on Survivor. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm not the gay, overweight, naked man on right. Survivor. I'm, he called up SAG. It's like, he's not in SAG. He's just a guy named Richard Hatch. So we can't. In SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, if you become an actor and your name is Richard Hatch and there's three other Richard Hatches, you got to change. You got to pick some different name. Right. That's why Martin Sheen and Joe Estevez and Emilio Estevez. And mm-hmm. you know, this is why we, you end up with, you know, a family might not seem like a family because their names were changed. Thanks to the Screen Actors Guild. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that Charlie and Emilio are, are, uh, are brothers. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same mother. It's not, that's not the, you know. Yeah. Um, so you've graduated, you're working for the, the Film Institute of America. What, what, uh, and this was in the early nineties. Yeah. And, uh, didn't you direct, a uh, make a film at the pink house in like 92 or I, well, yeah. Um, the birthmark, which was done as a postgraduate short film, um, really for the producer, Sue Rizatka was the, we all got credit, but it was her graduate thesis project. Okay. Like I said, we all worked on different. So that was, that happened to be hers. Um, we wanted to make a feature and then the money just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So we did that. Um, that film's actually finally coming back out. But so that we came to the pink house to shoot. 
So we wanted to do the feature, all the money fell through. It's like, right. you know, I've got to make another student film. And uh, I had read The Birthmark, which is a Nathaniel Hawthorne short story. Okay. Um, I don't think I was really looking for, you know, in school you're forced to read all these things, Faulkner, William Faulkner, Ernest Hemingway, you know, and you read them and John Steinbeck. I never really took to any of those guys. Um, uh, but Hawthorne was somebody who I did like, and so after – when I didn't have to read, yeah, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know what I mean? When you're not reading, you know, the latest comic book or whatever, right? Paperback of no worth, according to your parents. <laughs> um, you know that was so. Anyway, I, I read that story. Uh, it was probably one of the first ones I picked up and read just on my own outside of school. Okay. I read a lot of other ones, so we were looking for something to do, and I thought, well, the Pink House could be the that story could be set at the Pink House, so let's. You know, Columbus, Ohio back then was more like an eight hour drive or more even. Right. Let's all pack up our stuff and come to the pink house and shoot a movie on film too. Um, and give it a go. But you know, it's a, it's a big ordeal to, you know, there's no support system. Right. The camera breaks. You can't just drive down the road and get another camera kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And we did have technical issues, none of them crippling. Okay. But it was really like, well, the pink house will be worth it, which largely it was. And to date, that's the only film I've shot entirely at the Pink House. I was back here and did a movie in 2000 and um, whenever, whenever, whenever Katrina, Katrina was, Hurricane Katrina. Five. Yep. That's what I thought. Because it rained. We were shooting a movie at Rushford Lake. Mm-hmm. And it just rained and rained. And when it would stop raining, we'd run back out and try to finish up some scene we'd shot before it rained. And um, So a little of that film was shot at the Pink House, but most okay. of it was shot at Rushford Lake. And when I screened that... I ran for like a month worth of weekends at uh, Boomers, which is a club in Sio. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm yeah. I, I'm from Sio, so okay. I, I remember Boomers. Oh yeah, quite quite well. <laughs> so we anyway, that film was called Ghost Lake. So yeah. we ran that I there. Think I remember that quite honestly. You could have. It was a free I screening. Probably went to it, but people called and like booked it. Just you know, we were gonna just do it one weekend, and it ran for a whole month. Yeah. At Boomers. And Boomers was fairly new at the time, and he, that guy lived at Rushwood Lake, and so we were kind of helping promote him, and he got a really nice video projector system. His old one was kind of trash, and he knew it, so he was like, ah. Oh. So um, anyway, that so at those screenings, people were, um, well, you're making a, made a ghost movie. Why didn't you make it at the Pink House? I was like, well, because right. there are no ghosts at the Pink House. They're all at Rushford Lake. So that's <laughs> why we went there. Um, speaking of the pink house, uh, in case you didn't notice, this is a different backdrop than what my normal podcasts are. That's because we are in fact inside the pink house right now. And what, what room is this that we're in? This is the, um, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the master bedrooms. It is really kind of the newest sort of master bedroom. Okay. My grandparents, the history of the house is, is kind of simple. The original guy who built it was named Edwin Bradford Hall or E.B. Hall. He ran Hall's Drugstore, which is now the same building and some of the same interior as the Beef House. Okay. Um, he married into this Farnham family, which there's still things in town called Farnham Island Park was originally, uh, I think they said they called it Farnham Island and the cemetery was originally, he was a big lumber guy and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's on South Main, the cemetery on South Main? Yeah. Okay. So, um, E.B. Hall, uh, after he married, like built the pink house as his house to move into. He had one daughter um, named Fanny. So he was the Hall. That's the Halls. He's descended from William Bradford Hall. Okay. I mean, William Bradford, the, the pilgrim, Governor William Bradford, that's his direct descendant. Um, so after the, after the Halls, um, his one daughter, Fanny, married a carpenter. 
and after that, um, their daughter, who is my grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, married a guy named Wolfel who lived in Buffalo. Okay. They shared like almost like sort of childhood best friends. And they, the, those, the couple was knew each other their whole lives and stuff. So, um, when they became the Wolfels, uh, my grandfather, as I mentioned earlier, was teaching at Ohio state. So this was grandma's house. He would okay. come to grandma's house. Yep. So the owner, the original builder, his daughter lived in the house. She lived to be 92. She lived here her whole life and died in about 1958. Okay. So after they got married, this room was expanded and built out, um, for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was sort of the ma- the master bedroom for the you know the the kids new uh husbands and wives and okay. stuff. So when Fanny uh got married this became her bedroom and then when uh her her daughter my grandmother got married then this was sort of remodeled again to be my my grandparents bedroom. The back this is sort of the one this is sort of the back of the house. I think this part of the house is warmer cuz it seemed like people tended to live back here more. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So it's got these cool bay windows, which were, were built out at one point. One of these used to have a special UV glass, not to keep it out, but to bring it in. Yeah. Because at the time, vitamin D and UV was considered. Um, so this is usually the room that the whoever the best guest uh, gets to stay in when they come. It also is right next to the bathroom. Right. Yeah, the door, um, door yeah. leads in. I saw that over there. Um, so growing up, I got, I got to um, be completely honest with you. I was incredibly excited uh, when your wife reached out and, uh, we came up with the idea to actually film it and record it in here because I've been, you know, growing up, there's so much lore behind the pink house, like the, the girl in the well, mm-hmm. um, a bunch of other mysteries that, that rumors that have come up. And, I always uh, love to hear all those stories. Yeah. <laughs> so you can tell me your version of the ghost story. Cause yeah, there's just a, well, the, the little girl in the well, um, she, they, she was in a wheelchair and she fell into this well and passed away. And now she's, She's a ghost that roams around um, the the house here. Have you ever felt any presence? <laughs> I've not. I have not. Um, that's a good high. Like most, yeah, I've not heard quite that version of the story actually. So that's good. See, every, you, everyone's yeah. a little different. The wheelchair, the girl in the wheelchair, is different. Yeah, okay. there is a wheelchair and a girl, but they're not actually together. So okay, that much is true. So everything's kind of just getting pushed together, and right. as time goes on, and yeah. And blended. And there was no, there wasn't a well, it was a fountain. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, anyway. I don't even know if I want to try to untangle all the ghost stories. No, right. no, no. No, there's no, uh, yeah, I mean, I've never, I, in horror movies and stuff like Haunting a Hill House, I don't know where, whichever movie or book did this originally, there was this idea that like, this is a house that, you know, hates people kind of thing. And these, that's always kind of the thing. So my only sort of, I think this house really likes people. Yeah. But there's not like I see Casper the Friendly Ghost or, you know, if you drop a dollar, you pick up a five. None, none of those kind of things, you know. I kind of uh, wish that if yeah, I dropped yeah. a dollar. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. <laughs> um, so that's kind of, there's a feeling of, it, somebody else was talking about it, there's a certain feel to the house if you're mm-hmm. sitting in it and doing stuff here. I mean, for one thing, um, somebody recently online or someplace said, uh, oh yeah, Pink House, yeah, that's considered a, this thing's considered a landmark and a place you should go see if you're in yeah. Wellsville. And that's really weird because it's a private residence. It's like, well, why is that weird? But in a way, I guess it is because you go to like Mount Vernon right. or someplace, you know. But this is still a, a living house. So um, we did a, we don't do tours usually, but the Monday Club sort of guilted us into doing a tour for them. <laughs> I might try to guilt you into one too. So. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> 
So we just did one the other day. Um, and yeah, and the people, the, the, a number of the women of the, of the house's history were in the Monday club and helped sort of set it up and mm-hmm. stuff. So, so we did a tour and I didn't really mention this to them, but I, I wanted to kind of say, it's like, you know, everything, everything you see, you see here works, right? Yeah. You can sit on that chair, you can turn on that light, you can open that desk. Cause we get so used to these kind of museums where, right. You can't touch anything. Yeah. Or, which is kind of understandable in a way, but, um, yeah, it's a living, you know, not in a ghostly way, but it's a living, a living house. And yeah. some friend who we were talking about all this stuff, it's like, he goes, I think it's a sense of history. It's like living history when you're in here. And that's what's different than like a kind of a museum kind of environment where it's right. stuffed or a little bit of freezer burn going on there. You know? <laughs> no, this is, this is my first time inside the house. You know, I've always, I was telling my wife, um, my wife's a professor over at Alfred State for math, but I was telling her like, I'm going to go in the pink house. She's like, Oh, I just want to take off and, and just, I can act as the producer. I can press record on things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, but it, what was interesting is like, you know, I, I became interested in, you know, horror fiction to a degree and that sort of stuff growing up. Um, and it wasn't because of the pink house, but, um, then later when, you know, there's a, the, I suppose like the first kind of codified version of the ghost stories, this book, which is at the Wells of a library still called things that go bump in the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so, but what I quickly found is that, yeah, well, that's like your version. Like that's not really right. It just, you know, the only place I've ever read or heard that whole version that way is in that book. Okay. Um, and that person who wrote it, like came here and talked to people and supposedly, you know, maybe they embellished it some themselves, but since then trying to like puzzle out, okay, well, who is the little girl, you know, and, right. who, and who is the wheelchair and all this kind of stuff. What's different about the pink house is usually you go to these houses, which are famously or infamously haunted. Mm-hmm. And usually they pass through so many hands that there is no real, you know, real story. It's like, sure. well, did this person's by this name even live in this house, you know? And so here we don't have all the answers to, to, not the haunting, but we don't have all the answers to, to some of these connections between people, but we have a lot more than you usually do. So we actually know like, yes, there's this person, this person never lived there. That's totally wrong. And this is right. And so that, that's been real interesting because um, I'm sure other haunted houses where nobody can actually trace the history have as many or even more bogosities of coincidence and confabulations of right. four different stories into one. <laughs> um, and I just, I, I just assume that because in my case, I actually sort of know more of the fact than the fiction. Right. And over the years we've discovered things which we, uh, assumed were wrong or assumed were right. And then because of my, uh, my parents, uh, all my family, but my parents and my mother also, they like really, when they started living here, it's very cold in, in New York a lot of the time. So this right has been, now. This is, <laughs> yes, like right now, this has been a, uh, basically a summer house for my family. My, my okay. grandmother lived here during the good months. Now maybe it's, sometimes it's four months, maybe it's three, you know, <laughs> maybe it's four and a half. Um, so they, you know, over the, over the years with my parents, when they were living here, um, and interacting with the community on a bigger basis, certainly than my grandmother, because they came here a little earlier Sure, in their own age, people at various towns would find stuff. And of course with the internet age and all this stuff, information mm-hmm. crops up. 
So um, I was, of my two brothers, I was the one who was really interested in family history and the pink house in particular. I remember coming up here the first time, the first time that I can remember, I'm sure I was here when I was even smaller, but I remember coming down state street. Cause then you come in from that way. And what, what year would have this been when you first oh, remember coming here? Yeah, I'd probably the late sixties. Okay. Yes. Maybe earlier, but for me, it was my first trip. Uh, now this would have been the mid sixties cause my grandfather was still alive. But I remember driving down, like, oh, the pink house, because then looking through yeah. the trees and seeing this pink, you know, house and driving up, looking out of the back of the station wagon up at the tower. And yeah. all that stuff. <laughs> I'm still trying to find a station wagon with the back seat. Like, that's my goal to buy one of those. Oh, yeah, where they go back. Yeah, yep. this one you'd sit You can backwards, sit backwards yeah. and look out the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I want one so it bad. It a seat or it can be a bed, you know, depending. Right. Um, and, so. you, and you were, so you came kind of just doing, you know, I did Rich Shear and, and Rick Whitwood. It seemed like the the sixties through the the early eighties were kind of a cool time to be in Wellsville. I think probably it's after the oil refinery finally right. shut down. Yeah, so the town was probably kind of looking for what it was going to be now. Mm-hmm. Probably the population started to drop some too. I would imagine. I, I imagine, uh, yeah. yeah, naturally. Um, eventually, they cleaned all that up. It was like hideously polluted, as you know. Yeah, and BP bought it. Um, but so, and my, and my you know. I inherited some Exxon stock because, you know, oil, this was the world of oil in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, the first discovery of oil is not too far from here. You can still go and see the little bubbling (laughs) pool of goo with the pictures of the Native Americans and the mission and the missionary, the preacher, whoever he was, like being shown the oil. Hey, this stuff burns. Hey, look at this. Right. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) So my relatives did benefit from that because, um, the farms are big lumbermen. And of course, mm-hmm. they stripped all the lumber down. It's like, hey, there's oil under here. Right. And of course, like humanity does, and they like suck that dry and mm-hmm. move on from one thing to another. What's interesting to me now is you drive in and there's all these beautiful trees. Of course, when you look for old pictures, there's no trees. Around the, around the pink house. Yeah, right, in general. Yeah. yeah. On the, all these hills were like farmed. Mm-hmm. And machine farming can't handle those kind of angles. So, right. you know, it's just, it's more kind of back to probably the way it was before some of these towns were even built. Now, when your grandparents um, owned it, was there staff here? Because it seems like there would be a lot of house to take care of. There's always been, um, there's almost from the beginning, there's always been an apartment, which we're like sitting on top of right now. Okay. Um, And there was always, I mean, there is a carriage house uh, barn. So Mm -hmm. there used to be, obviously horses went out a while ago. Right. (laughs) Um, But it was built for somebody to live in the carriage house. But yeah, there's a, there's a, um, you could call it a maid's room. It's more like a housekeeper's mm-hmm. um, room upstairs here, right next to what was probably the first bathroom upstairs. Okay. Um, I didn't know if there's like a chef on hand or. Yeah, I and whether I think the housekeepers usually cooked also. Oh really? I think. Nice. Uh, the guy who built the house, his his daughter, my great great grandmother, my great grandmother, yes, great grandmother. Um, she, I mean, she lived to be ninety three, so she sort of had a housekeeper caretaker who she remained after she died until like 1972, Bertha Atwood. Okay. So this side of the house, when we came to visit, you know, it was kind of Bertha's rules because Bertha <laughs> lived here and yeah. we had to ask Bertha for the key to this or that, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. She was a, she was a very nice person, but it was, you, even though it was our house, it was sort of Bertha's house. Okay. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're obvious. Yeah, I mean, she knew what things to touch or what, you know, and to a certain degree, she kind of let certain things kind of go. 
I'd say, well, just don't touch that faucet. You know, well, Ian, let's just fix it. Right. No, no, let's just not touch it. <laughs> um, and my grandmother was still alive also, so she would come up. Uh, and then when she died, my father basically bought it from his from his brother. Okay. Um, and then so yeah, so there was and before that, so there was always somebody who who was a housekeeper. Whether there was ever, I don't know if there was ever a live-in cook or not. There was always somebody in the apartment. What happened with the apartment was um, originally it was the kitchen. Okay. And then as kitchens became more kind of manageable, they they built that out and turned it into an apartment. Um, the first wheelchair in the pink house's history <laughs> um, was actually the guy who built the house married into a family and uh, one of their daughters had polio. Oh, okay. And so she had a wheelchair and once the pink house was built, she sort of divided her time between staying here at the pink house. So they had a downstairs bedroom and a back entrance and bathroom for her and just across the street, sort of the relatives family. Um, so she would sort of move that I was thought that was kind of, nice or interesting you know this is back before people had handicap entrances or yeah. you know people were like some people felt that you had polio or something it was god's curse you know there's all this kind of a lot of stigma a lot of stigma yeah. you know there's still some stigma mm-hmm. but um so yeah uh what happened with the apartment was that um i mentioned that my grandparents met through their best friends okay. and their best friends moved down to kentucky and had a farm that like caught on fire and they lost everything including their cat, everything oh, they had, man. they lost. And so my grandparents were like, you know, come live at the pink house and you just have the apartment, you know, don't pay us. And so they lived there the rest of their, the rest of their lives. Okay. So after they, um, uh, the, the, my grandmother died and then her friend moved out to be with some in-laws and stuff. Um, after that point, um, it became like this, the caretakers, um, apartment. So although it was a summer house for us, somebody always lives here. Okay. Um, and then there was somebody who lived on this side who took care of things. It's become now more like when we're not here that Jordan, the current caretaker, is a is a real caretaker in terms of he does the lawn and mm-hmm. fixes things to a certain degree. The Halloween spectacular or spooktacular, <laughs> if you prefer. Um, we supplied the props, but he like executed putting it all up. And yeah. When he was hired quote unquote to be the caretaker is like you must do Halloween because that's become something the pink house is really known for. Well he's like uh, just like I am, but he's a huge Halloween fan. Okay. Halloween the movie, but just Halloween in general too. Yeah. So people are always like, well, who lives there? You, you, well somebody has always lived here. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of do they live in the apartment or are people in both places? You always hear the stories of people walking by just out on a walk with their dog or whatever and they just see people moving in the in the yeah. windows the silhouettes and it might just be him right <laughs> yes yes and there's automatic lights and there's cameras all over the place now mm-hmm. my my um, parents came to understand when they and I think this has sort of changed over time too mm-hmm. uh, at one point some of the Alfred fraternity brothers came over and stole the lions off the front steps oh really which is how we learned that the lions are actually like metal not stone huh they're still very unwieldy. That would be quite yeah, heavy. The, yeah, the police pulled them over because they were, you know, drunk as skunks, you know, and oh, what's in the trunk? Oh, gee, where do you think these came from? Yeah. And which is kind of how we found out they were gone. It's like, boom, 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 boom. Are you missing your lions? <laughs> like, what? There was one paw. There was one lonely paw that they just sort of snapped off was still connected. Um, and the kids used to like, there. I think the bus stop was right outside, so the kids uh-huh. would like kick the posts and all this kind of stuff. So I think there was a little bit of a, 
uh, not animosity, but almost like a rivalry, or I guess maybe something. Yeah. When my parents lived here, they came to understand that most of the community in the town really like cares for the house in a way that like they'll call if something weird is going on yeah. before, like with the lions almost. It's like, mm-hmm. um, and I think the community over time, of course, you know, the house becomes sort of more special by the time they put it on the sign for the town, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So there is a sort of protective element to the community about the house, which is, which is special and is really nice. I think this is this is listed as one of the, the things to do if you visit Wellsville is come by the pink house and take and take a photo. So. It is, yeah. Somebody people do come to the door. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I stay in the front bedroom, not this master, but the kind of original master bedroom, which I said that part of the house seems to be more for guests, but uh, for us, it's where we stay. Okay. Well, that the windows face right into that, and you know, so in the morning you get up and kind of look out. You got to be careful what you do because there's almost always somebody stopping out there <laughs> to take a picture. picture. <laughs> right. And then uh, it hasn't happened this time, but we gave it to her. So maybe that stopped it. There'll be the front doorbell will ring. It has two, there's two doorbells that sound totally different. Mm-hmm. Most people who've come here come to the back door. Uh, so if the front doorbell rings, you know, it's like somebody who's never been to the house before. That was that's me. Not, not entirely Just true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's fine. But you know, it's like, Oh, you know, yeah. Is somebody scheduled. No, uh, so you go open it. It's like, oh, when's the next tour? It's like never. Yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't do that. And one woman actually said, um, "Well, I read that you know when you come to Wellsley, you must see the pink." I said, "Yes, and you've seen it it's outside." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I then took them of a tour of the yard and stuff. Mm. And you know, I said, "This is more than I usually." But you know, it's a private residence, and yeah. you know, we don't do tours. Except we, there was a big hospital benefit that we did, mm-hmm. and the Monday Club thing. You know, so where my mother did sort of famous um, come have tea with her and stuff like that. And we love to do that kind of stuff too, but that's, that's just friends coming over to sure. the house. Like, you know. yeah. Um, what is your, what do you think your biggest, what do you think people's biggest misconception of the pink house is that you'd like to, to kind of set? Uh, Whatever set I say right. certainly won't clear it up for all time. Right. As much as I might <laughs> like to. Um, um, well, the mysterious place. A couple things that, uh, and somebody asked me this yesterday on the tour. The one thing, aside from like the ghost stuff, um, one time we were here, uh, this couple who we had seen, they were walking the block. I mean, we walked the block. Mm-hmm. And so one day when we were leaving, the couple said, um, hey, could we talk to you? Are you the, are you the owners? Because they had talked to Jordan, and the Jordan said, you need to ask the owners, and they're coming here soon. So, so they stopped us at the gate as we're leaving. They're like... Um, can we talk to you? Jordan said, you're the owner. Are you the owners? Yeah. And I introduced my wife and I were in the car and he said, uh, can I ask you two questions? Mm-hmm. I was like, sure. I was like, you yeah, well, thank God only two. Okay. Yeah. And he goes, um, is it haunted? <laughs> we're like, no, my wife's like, if it was haunted, I wouldn't, I could, I would never stay here. And right. I've been here and nobody's ever seen anything. Um, I might've told some version of my house that likes people's story or whatever. And he goes, okay, good. Uh, we're about to get married. We wonder if we can come take some pictures in the yard. Yeah. Now, if I'd have said it was haunted, I guess the second, he wouldn't have asked the second right. question or was right. like, okay, I don't want to be married here. <laughs> uh, so they weren't married, but they did come and, and take pictures. Um, again, you know, if you ask, uh, we won't always say yes, right. but uh, he's, he's a neighbor and yeah, but we'd never met him before. But yesterday I got asked one of the sort of preconceptions, which is, um, uh, kind of one of two things like 
either why is it pink or yesterday the the more thing is like it was left in the will of the guy who built it or whatever that must always be pink mm-hmm. which is not true he never oh. stipulated that it had to be pink okay because it was just recently what two years ago painted or one year was it last yes year? uh yeah just last yeah like this is the yeah just last year yeah my friends uh casey and rob I went to school. With oh them yeah, yeah. On it, so they're great. They'd actually we watched them painting a house across the street. Mm-hmm. My grandmother was named after the people who used to live in that house. Florence Howard was her mother's best friend, and so I said, "Well, you realize that you're connected to the Pink House because that was their best friend's house." And oh, really? we saw you doing a great job on that house, and we knew the Pink House needed to be painted. My mother had died, and then the estate. I had to buy the house from the estate. Um, so once that was all, and that takes, you know. It was very well organized, and it still takes way longer than you want to. It's really? Everybody's going to discover. You know, mm-hmm. the less organized it is, the worse it is. But it's still you just want to grieve or remember, and instead, it's like all this business mm-hmm. nonsense. Um, so once that all got taken care of, um, my one brother's health was not good, and then my father died, then my mother died, so then got up here. So the house is probably like five years overdue for getting painted. Okay. When was the, uh, since last year? When was the the last time it was previously painted. Well, for years we had this guy, Wendell Foote and Vicki Billings and their family and other people they hired who mm-hmm. worked here almost constantly during the summers. So there was almost always something getting painted. So really whenever Wendell first started and whenever he finished his first pass okay, uh, would have been, but then he kept it up. So it didn't really need to be, even though things were starting to fade. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Wendell himself had died. And um, so it had been... 10 years or more. I can remember the house being painted really only maybe four or five times in my lifetime, which I guess would be about every 10 years or something, maybe. Oh, I remember. I remember a rumor um, or mystery here that is that the original, uh, the original pink paint was like imported from France or something or or overseas somewhere. Right, right. No, the, um, no, the guy who built the house, um, at one point, um, we found one of his notebooks, and in that he had the formula for making the paint. Oh, really? Which he did probably formulate his own paint, the Hall's Drug Source and, and paints. Mm-hmm. So they sold and made paints. And Was this back in the lead paint days? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the lead paint. <laughs> um, I never ate any paint off the pink house. <laughs> don't, please don't well, come I eat paint form, off the pink yeah, house. Well, I can form <laughs> sentences. Uh, yeah, so he did probably make the paint in the... Uh, in the drugstore and the drugstore um, did have at one point uh, it was the first like soda fountain in town. And there was a lot of these kind of first, cause you know, he's a savvy businessman or whatever and trying to get the stuff. So he had ordered French glass windows cause they were very big. Yeah. Cause you know, these are, you know, windows are, this was a big, so to get a huge big plate glass thing, so I think that's where the French thing comes from. Oh, so they just assumed that the paint yeah, the came paint with came the windows. All right. But it, it didn't. The paint was just... But he did mix it up over there. That's himself, so interesting probably. that I was just right down on Main Street. Yeah. And he was really... Apparently, he was really into sort of um, unusual colors. Mm-hmm. This pink is more pink pink than what his pink was, which was more kind of mauve. But the kind of the wine color accents, that was... You know, eventually my grandmother one time was like, you know what? Just make it pink. Yeah. Um, cause I remember when she said that, um, so, you so just... yeah, but the pink, uh, the, and then why pink? Well, for one thing, it's an Italian style. Um, I guess it's a Queen Anne revival is technically the style of the house. The guy who built it did help design it. 
um, with an actual architect whose name we know, don't ask me right now, Searle, I think. Uh, Hank Searle. That, that made me wrong. <laughs> um, so he did help help design the house. And the story was it was based on a, a house he saw in Lake Como when he went to Italy to on his honeymoon. Okay. And they they did, this house took perhaps as long as two years to be built. Mm -hmm. Um, They moved in either in 1868 or 69, and he bought the property in 1866. And his daughter was probably a year, a year and a half old by the time they moved in. Um, So uh, that was, that was always the story. And a friend of my dad's who like worked here when he was a little kid and mowed the lawn. Um, He said there used to be a book here on the shelf. Last time he ever came to the house, he went over the shelf because the book was right here. And he goes, you flip in and there was a picture of the pink house, except it was this Italian house. Ah. Now we've never been able to find that book. He couldn't find it. Um, My parents went to Como looking for the pink house. Didn't find it, although they found a lot of pink houses. Okay. My wife and I went to Lake Como recently. Um, We told some version of the story and in in the local paper, they put a picture of the pink house and, the Italians were like, oh, of course, the American version is made of wood, not stone. It should be made of stone. Uh, and so, but the in Italians Lake Como. are so particular. Yeah, when we went there to Como, eventually somebody, there's this hill, and it's all chopped up because that's where they quarried a lot of the rocks to make mm-hmm. Como. The local rock is pink granite. Oh. So if you can't afford pink granite, you then paint your house pink yep. because that's, so that's why Como has a lot of pink houses in it. So whether it, I think it's probably a composite of things he liked. Mm-hmm. He liked the sort of asymmetrical tower. And there are towers like that. There's a huge house with a huge tower in Como to this day. And we found a house that was mostly painted pink. That's laid out much the same. That's actually owned by um, the Heinz. Uh, uh, ketchup? Uh, yeah, Heinz Ketchup heiress. Okay. Uh, and she's married to um, the Vietnam presidential guy. Um We'll remember him later. The fast boat guy. He was a Vietnam vet. He was yeah. a POW. And yeah, anyway, so weirdly, that's yeah. So I think that's the I think that's the Como thing. I think he saw stuff, but that's why pink initially. Okay. And plus, he liked unusual colors. But you know, Victorian houses were always mm-hmm. almost dazzle painted. Supposedly, Victorians have to have I think three different colors at least. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, really? I never yeah, that. yeah, that's part of the. Some painter recently was like, "Well, yeah, it's got to have at least three colors." So what's the? This is pink, white. What's the? The the sort of wine color, which is the accents around yep. all the windows. Okay. Uh, so he the the original builder kind of citizen caned it. He just kind of took everything that he liked and put it all in one one house. Then right, huh? Right. Yeah, E. B. Hall. Yeah. Um. Now there's what? also a story which is the, a little more spurious. He's from Bridgeport, Connecticut. And Bridgeport, mm-hmm. Connecticut's kind of most famous citizen, certainly at the time, was P.T. Barnum. Oh, yeah. And a friend, of, and, and um, the guy who built the house, his parents are buried in the same cemetery as P.T. Barnum and Tiny Tim yeah. and the giant, I think. Well, I forget the, we should know the giant's name. But anyway, um, there is a house there purportedly that looks like this, uh, but I've not really seen the original source. The person who told me this is a little dodgy. Okay. Um, but it's flipped. It's flipped left to right. Like huh. the towers, and it was all white. It was just a white house. But I don't have a photo of it. It's gone now, and I haven't had the time to go to Bridgeport, Connecticut, and really go, okay, there's the, the house was here until it burned down or something, say 1970. That's, there's a lot of photo, photography going on. Yeah. Like, Show me a picture of the house. <laughs> um, 
we, we, I Anyhow, do. yeah, but that house is not is not pink. So whichever story you you care to believe. So yeah, why is it pink? Recently, I heard that um, actually the caretaker Jordan had heard that it was painted red originally, and then it faded to pink, and so then we just painted it pink afterwards. Oh, I never heard that version of the story before. Never heard that either. And I, then the other most popular thing is, is, you know, is it haunted? And then the various derivations of that. Um, I just have, I do, I want to, I want to move into your, your film career, but I just have one more question mm-hmm. on the pink house. Um, thank you very much, by the way, for, for going into some of the history and cause oh. I know that people are very curious uh, about this house, but the, uh, the other thing about this house is it sounds like I'm bragging or something. And uh, you know, the woofles, I think in the halls are about to sort of die out with me. Um, but, uh, the house has always been owned by the same family, right? which is really rare, uh, in the 19, when the, when the, when the America turned 200 years old, there's a whole big bicentennial deal mm-hmm. and people started, you know, being more interested in history and then roots came along and that opened it up for, you know, black people's history. And yep. so there was a real kind of, you know, that's when people started being interested again and in Victorian houses. And so there's been several books and the pink house was in the very first one, which was published Okay, and it was on the cover and that book did really well. So they did another book, um, several years later. And I was actually living in California and up in San Francisco at the Palm court of one of the old hotels. Okay. Um, they had a big, big opening party for the book. So I went up there. Um, and there were other house, people who owned houses in the book there too. And San Francisco has the famous painted ladies row of little houses yep. and all this stuff. So the guy doing it said, you know, so if, if someone was there from the house, they would talk about it. If not, he would say something. They did slideshow and stuff. So when he got to the pink house, he said, this was the most requested book. Even though it was in the other book, people wanted more of the pink house. So the more really? people wrote to me saying the pink house must be in the next book. And we let him take a picture inside because usually we don't, you know, let anybody in. Okay. And so the guy says, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, and this is the only house in the book still owned by the original family. Yeah. And so I, when I got up there, I was kind of, I was like, yeah, I guess I need to thank you guys who bought these houses. And several of them had bought them from the last relative, Mm -hmm. you know, because it takes a lot to maintain them. Um, But I had no idea. And this was 25 years ago that I, that this was the only house in that book. So um, that's just, that's something that, you know, you know, we're lucky it's still here, partly because the guy who built its daughter lived to be 93 years old. Sure. She left it to her grandson because her grandsons, which is how it sort of skipped a generation. My mm-hmm. grandmother loved the house and stayed here, but she didn't technically want to, you know. What? So it's thanks to those people kind of maintaining it. I suppose to a degree, there's an element of hoarding that eventually becomes <laughs> sort of cherished. Yeah. <laughs> there's original fixtures, which they put in the attic rather than throw out. Yeah. And of course, we have eras of stuff that there was an era where everybody just painted everything white. Hmm. It's like this desk next to you that was at one point painted white. Really? And, and it, it was stripped. It was stripped down? Because it was like it was passe to have bare wood in your house. Everything needed yeah. to be white or cream. Hmm. So antiques were all painted. Um, that's the desk of the guy who built the house, daughter Fanny, who I've been talking about. Okay, that's very old. That's yes, very that's old. very old. Um, I, I do have one last question. Uh-huh. What? what uh, well, I guess two now. Okay, you got me into. Is it, it haunted? No. First is. <laughs> I is, have my wedding pictures. Though. I'm actually more. Uh, I'm actually more intrigued as if there if there's any like secret passages in the house or something that could be seen as a secret passage. The house has a has a very disappointing attic. Okay. It's a very sort of small, crawl spacey kind of thing. Jordan, the current caretaker, 
he was out on the roof cleaning some gutters or whatever and saw a window. I was like, what's that belong to? And then like, couldn't find the attic because it's behind another door, which is when the doors open, you don't see it because it's a little troll door. It's just, it's like a crawl space door. So if you just open the door, you wouldn't even see it. So it has a sort of disappointing attic, which we have found a number of like fascinating things in. Artifacts. Artifacts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the One of the rooms has sort of hidden um, drawers underneath the windows, which just look like a little detailing, but they're mm. actually drawers. Um, my grandparents found some old liquor in there one time. Wow. And with some friends, had quite the party with this liquor, much to the horror of their mother, who was still living in the house at the time. Right. Wow. Uh, we didn't find anything that interesting. I think there was a pan somebody put in there probably because there was a leak so the water would be caught. And there's some old newspapers, which actually weren't that old. Huh. It wasn't like, uh, you know, Lincoln declares victory. <laughs> they um, museum so there, and then in the, in the barn, uh, the carriage house one time, um, we were cleaning out all this stuff. And I looked, there was an extra door to the same room, which is what everybody thought it was. And I kind of like, it was the lock was, you couldn't open it. And I kind of like, I pushed it open enough to look in. I was like, no, no, this is a whole different room. Yeah. It's not part of this room. And through it, it was like King Tut's tomb. I could just see all this like stacked up furniture, tiny little room. Yeah. And so we broke the door off and we found, um, mirrors and back pieces again, which had become passe. So I just put them in the barn, a coats, uh, a beautiful wooden, like uh, coat rack, and other pieces of beds and all these like things, which we then connected into the house. It's like, well, this matches this other thing, but we yeah. never knew there was a matching dr- dresser to go with it. And here's the mirror. And it's like a puzzle kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so have we found the last of those? I still have dreams about finding undiscovered, you know, things in the pink house. I, I don't know. I think secret probably, hatches from the floor. Yeah, there was a secret hatch that, uh, there's a little hatch above one of the bedrooms here, which I discovered once from the outside of the house. There's sadly nothing in it. <laughs> in the in the carriage house, there's a there's like a cool trap door, but again, it's just a little crawl space. Yeah, but yeah, so there's always some little you know. But there have been some big kind of. We found some old books in the attic. About um, which filled in a, a. The thing with the pink house and the ghost story is there's two drownings in the family. Right, and they didn't. The bank house wasn't even built when the first drowning happened. The first drowning happened someplace totally different. Okay. But there's this whole poem which was written about it and all this stuff. We found a book which was essentially sort of written for her funeral. So it's like her memorial book, mm-hmm. um, which connected some dots we didn't know about. Uh, so that sort of changed our point of view. And eventually I was going to say earlier, like an obituary of her turned up. And the obituary is almost word for word what my grandmother had told me happened. Really? which she had heard from either her grandfather or her mother. It was before she was alive. Mm -hmm. So this is how these like little, so I'm always waiting for more little tidbits to come in. Yeah. It's like, it's like Atlantis. You're you're still, (laughs) which comes from, from supposed rumors, but you either find it's true or untrue. Now the basement of the house is really, is really quite cool. It's, you know, it makes up for the attic. Really? Yeah. Cause the house was, you know, there were additions put on over the years. And so in the basement, you see where the old walls used to be and Mm -hmm. the different sort of eras of, you know, when people did the construction. Right. Um, and last question on, on the pink house is, is what do you think? Um, cause you mentioned, you know, the Wolfles might pass with you. What do you think the future of the, of the house is? And if you don't want to, uh, and please, right. um, if you don't want to get into that, we don't have to get into that. We can move on. I, uh, yeah, the, the, there was no real, 
Yeah. And I just heard recently, probably when my parents passing, I guess there was a lot of talk in town about what's going to happen to the house. And mm-hmm. what happened was that I bought it from the estate. Um, my mother finally became convinced I really wanted the house and my wife also Christy because she yeah. loved the house. And so, but yeah, they looked into various avenues, whether they could give it to Alfred and, you know, and I would, it would basically still be my house to live in. You'd have like, what do you call it? A lifetime use. Yeah. Which was how my grandmother's mother dealt with the thing. So right now I can tell you, it's like, I'm just glad I got it. Yeah. So I could do things and there's the, the fountain outside. That's something I wanted. My father talked about doing and mm-hmm. the gate we had, we sort of had to get the gate up. So there's new things I want to do and there's more sort of community type things I want to do with the house. That's amazing. Um, and hopefully it'll, you know, I hope to be here for as long oh, yeah. as, as, long as yeah, possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, um, well, by the sounds of it, your family has a long history of long lifespans. Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah right? Um, so I would hope that, you know, whatever ends up happening, that it ends up becoming and staying part of Wellsville, mm. you know. You still want it to be a living house or? That would be great. Yeah. You know, as long as, like, as, long as it's me, damn yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, who knows? Really, my short answer is like, well, I just figured out how to make it mine after years of making sure that that just that happened. So right. Right now, I'm still just trying to, you know, tick off my wish list of like, well, let's finally get this fixed. Mm-hmm. So that's my real answer is I don't know yet. I just figured this much out, and I'm just right now satisfied. <laughs> I just got it. I just okay. got it. I want to enjoy it. <laughs> right. We did Christmas lights this past year for the first time, like in a long time, and yeah. so and the Halloween thing. Thanks to Jordan, you know, we keep building on that. And there's other things my wife wants to do, sort of more community related. But it doesn't mean don't you can't book your new tour. Uh, doesn't but, mean. But um, we're always looking to make friends. <laughs> Seriously. Well, we uh, I know that the community appreciates um, everything that you, your wife, and, and seemingly Jordan are doing with everything. And you just opened it up to trick-or-treating um, yesterday, and I heard that there was thousands of kids. Um, there was at least 600. Yeah. Sure seemed like that. <laughs> the, the story, I just heard someone talking about it in runnings. There was thousands of kids that, that showed up. Far be it for me. I was wearing a mask and I couldn't really see very much, but there was a lot of people. It was like, it seemed like a theme park. Yeah. And I, I'd been here years ago. I encouraged my parents to stay later and later each year. Ridgewalk. If you're staying for Ridgewalk, why don't you just stay yeah. for Halloween? Just one time. It'll probably be fun. Yeah. And then they loved it. And so they got, first year they had like 400 kids or more and so it's kind of built from there that's amazing um now with your with your film career uh what what got you into wanting to do kind of independent horror style films uh, you did mention that you love halloween um right not the, uh, the halloween's not my favorite horror film jordan loves halloween Right. Oh, not, I, not that i, I, I dislike the, it the but time not, the the, the hall- oh, yeah, halloween i yeah. love halloween in general and right. the movies occasionally uh-huh. uh so it got me into into video. I've said this. I, I mean, I was always. Jackass. I mean, I was always interested in. Um, I, I guess, I, although I at first, I liked science fiction and you know all this stuff from being a kid. Sometimes mm-hmm. people grow out of that or whatever. I guess I didn't. I didn't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, horror stuff is more emotionally based than like science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like science fiction, but it's it's there's more of a kind of it's a symbolic battle of good versus evil and life and death and all these things that we all fear or kind of deal with in kind of a larger sort of symbolic way. And sure. so I, although it was very popular, thanks to Halloween, the movie, 
uh, which was a low budget film that made a lot of money. It was a big kind of cultural phenomenon, still is to a small degree now even, mm-hmm. or maybe a big degree. Um, so it was something I was genuinely interested in. But after Halloween, lots of people, when they made their first movies, made horror movies because you can make them cheap. Mm-hmm. You didn't need stars. And that was a popular genre. And I'd read lots of reviews with people who like, well, it's not really a horror film. I don't really like horror films. I was like, we shouldn't be doing this job. Directing a movie is, is, is not something you can really fake your way through. Right. I think you can see it. I think especially with certain genre things, probably romance is a certain thing too. It's like, if you're not really into it, if you don't really believe it, anybody who is, is going to sense the sort of phoniness of it. You know? Right. And you won't understand the certain things that people are bored with and the things people love. So which things to really exploit or do. So, so I, I have done other types of movies and I'm interested in all kinds of subject matter, but I do love, you know, supernatural horror probably more for me than uh, just that I became one through. I'm interested in serial killers and all that stuff too. Right. Serial killers are massive right now, especially for yeah, they're coming, they're middle-aged, coming back. middle-aged women, right? Yeah, they're coming back again. <laughs> I can't tell you how many friends, uh, women friends that I have that uh, that are just listening to serial killer podcasts all oh, the wow. time okay. or watching serial killer documentaries. It, it really, truly is huge right now. Okay. Um, they're just drinking their, their wine and... and uh, listening to or watching serial killer documentaries. Okay. The Ted yeah, Bundy ser- one that just came out was a massive success. Oh yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that most, most recent one. Yeah. I was, I became, yeah. Boston Strangler, the movie, uh, is still one of the best or the best stories, serial killer movies, although it doesn't, it's not completely factually uh, connected to that. Yeah. And then fr- after that, then I sort of read a book about Ted Bundy and became really fascinated by Bundy. After about like three or four months of that, though, you really need to go take a bath. I mean, you just need yeah. to sort of cleanse your head because it really does. See, so you're really interested, you're really interested, and then you're really disgusted, and then it's, oh, I feel terrible. And then, like, you know, then your interest can build up again. Um, I think a lot of, I think a lot of women are and then eventually, like Stockholm syndrome on these, on these <laughs> Well, yeah, it could be. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the, yeah, I don't know if I should ask the disturbing question, which, uh, Please do. Okay. The disturbing question about serial killers, and I still haven't heard anybody really answer this. And not that I'm sympathetic at all, but some of them weirdly are somewhat strangely sympathetic or attractive. And other ones are completely just repellent, even though they're all really right. repellent. But the, the, the thing to think about, uh, you made me say this, uh, serial killers essentially like no matter what kind of weird uh, thing it, it's, it's a, it's, it's basically their sex life. All right. Yeah. That's what they. So you know, if the only way you could have a satisfying sexual experience was to, yeah, to, kill, to do that. eat, yeah. whatever, how long could you resist that? Yeah, you know, what I mean, we just go without. That's a nice thing to say, but it's kind of a basic desire and interest of people, and it's that's like kind of what a vampire who needs blood to survive. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but then eventually, there, you know, after Science of the Lambs, then it kind of everybody did all these things and. It kind of like went out of fashion, but thanks to like 48 hours and Dateline and all these kind of true crime shows, which um, can be really interesting. Right. Um, so yeah, so so serial killers are making a comeback, but yeah, there's sort of a a vampire element to it, I suppose. This is sort of the double life, of course, is always sort of you know. Yeah, I I, have... or I could I suppose if you want to say you know it's the ultimate fix in you know like Norman Bates you know yep. Psycho. Well, you know, if he just found the right girl, she could fix him. You know, he wouldn't kill people anymore or something. So I'm not saying women all think that way, but 
yeah, there's a certain kind of. I do. I think there some of them get Stockholm syndrome. You know, <laughs> they're things. Um, I always tell people Stockholm syndrome is a very valuable thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you're, yeah, if you're working for somebody, you need some Stockholm syndrome working right? for you. You know, you need them to get them to like you because you yeah. know, otherwise you're gonna first mistake you make. <laughs> they're gonna the boot door. you out there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I, so I'm going to be hundred percent honest with you. Uh, horror movies terrify me. My wife and I are terrible horror film watchers. The scariest one that, that, and you'll probably laugh if you've seen it that I've ever seen is uh, event horizon. And I think it's oh, because it was my first, it was my kind of gateway. My, my brother James Bond. Was that kind of your first, did you see it in a theater originally event horizon? I didn't see it. I was or with, you're I was with my older brother. Were... Yeah. I was, I think I was, I was, when it was 97. So I was, I was nearly 10. I think it was nine okay. when it came out. And uh, my, my older brother was watching it. And I just wanted to seem cool in front of my older brother. He's like, you shouldn't watch this, man. I'm like, no, nah, I got this. I got this. <laughs> I slept with my mom for a week after we saw that. Uh, my buddy Ryan and in, in one of our previous uh, podcasts were talking about that. But uh, that but movie, I yeah, that, uh, yeah, that movie sort of falls apart at the end. But that's one of the few alien to me when I saw it um, was like, okay, I don't live in a spaceship. So I went home. I wasn't really scared. The alien was going to get me. Yeah. Um, and there are certain things about that movie that I think like Ridley Scott, the director, not the writer, but the director, like he just wanted to be a scary movie and he succeeded in a lot of ways, but he wasn't really in design. That wasn't really his primary directive. Mm-hmm. Um, but event horizon, like that actually was creepy outside of not living in a spaceship. For some reason, they managed to mix the kind of horror or sci-fi thing. And then at the end, it, kind of becomes Hellraiser and the director said right. the studio just wanted to get the movie out mm-hmm. so that he could have fixed it. The build um, was scarier. I feel the like. Build, yeah. The... And I think they shouldn't show you the inside of the ship right at the beginning. Right. Because you then spend a long time discovering. I just think it would be even better if you hadn't, didn't have that first shot where you go inside, you should go inside with the people. Yeah. I think movies of the people should really pull the audience in. You shouldn't really be outside in horror movies. There's lots like, don't go in there, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the people need to, you know, draw you through the story. You shouldn't be sitting back going, Oh, look at this dumb butt. He's going right. to get killed or she's going to get killed. Or, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's one thing my, my friend Ryan and I talk about is that this, this, the scariest thing for me in, in the horror genre is sound. Sound scares me more than, than, than any visuals that come out. Cause I can get over visuals and I can realize, oh, you know, just being in the, in the film industry, I, I can make my mind realize that this is fake. But the sound just crawls under my skin. Oh, that's and, interesting, and just, and just gets to me. Um, I think, so, the, yeah, sounds incredibly important. But that's right. yeah, that's interesting. Of course, sometimes you don't know what what that sound was. Like in right. the Exorcist, so you don't see it. Yeah, with the Exorcist, yeah. there was all this talk of like how you know, the voices and all this weird stuff. Yeah, um, I don't think. It, well, it might have been that movie. They were trying to find out what sounds disturb people. Well, mm-hmm. bugs, bees, and bugs is kind of an instinctual thing, and. Um, yeah, that's yeah, it's interesting. That's, yeah, that's uh, real. Or they uh, in the poltergeist they use like squealing pigs, I think. So there's like yeah, it's when they, they do a whole sound interview with the people about how oh, did you get these? No, they had like baby pigs and they hold them up to the mic and kind of squeeze them, you know. And and in in ghost films like like the uh, the Conjuring is probably my favorite. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite mm-hmm. horror film, that that's the Conjuring because it had a happy outcome uh-huh. for that particular story, <laughs> yeah. the first yeah. one. Yeah. Um, but like the sounds of like the feet just running up and, and stuff like that just terrifies me. And like the clap that, that happened there. So it's, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's sound. Yeah. That's the yeah. scariest. Um, yeah. I mean, it's something that, um, 
yeah, films usually don't do smell well, but they can do sound really well. Yeah. It does make a difference. I see in making films now, I see that most sound designers, which is a term that really came in about it for star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, Ben Burton, David Lynch's sound of Alan split. Um, uh, once they were really starting to use stereo again and really like using sound vividly, uh, that was a big deal. And now those people would go create things themselves. Mm-hmm. Now I see what I call there's a lot of shareware stuff. And I've done it myself. There's these libraries you go get. Oh, yeah. People tend to just go horror movie, scary sound. Wilhelm so Scream. It's the, yeah, yeah, Wilhelm <laughs> Scream. Perfect. Um, I, I really think uh, it'd be better if people like, and it could, part of that's a function of time. Although sound is cheap if you take the extra effort. Mm-hmm. And I think the things where they where the sound is memorable is because somebody's actually, no, no, I, I don't want birds that somebody else has recorded. I'm going to go record my own birds. And I'm going to put them together. Foley artists way. fascinate me. Foley and <laughs> dubbing and yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I think, I think right now there's like kind of a flatness to all that because people just pull the existing wave files and dump them in there. And I see it done. I mean, I do temp mixes for people. I end up using a lot of the temp sounds I put in for the final thing. It's like, well, I should have a sound editing credit that right. I was just putting in something. <laughs> just doing some scratch audio. Yeah. It in there. Yeah. Um, what do you think that the for you what's your what's your pinnacle film um that you've made that if someone was interested in seeing some of your films because you've how many films have you directed or produced yourself uh features uh i think there's 13 if you include my titanic documentary which i would mm-hmm. Fe- features um, or shorts then, and then shorts there's another dozen or so and then, of course, they've done music for other things, which are, in a way, my movies. Of course, they're not. But right. creatively, I was equally involved in those. If I edit a movie, I'm just as involved editing it as I would be if I was editing my own movie. Yeah. I understand I'm not the director, but it, you know. You're piecing together the story right. from what the director shot. Yeah. But yeah, be, all of them should become your movie as you're working on them. You're, mm-hmm. the you being an, you all. The, right. A good movie is made by a bunch of people trying to make the same movie and getting on the same wavelength. Um, I, I usually shy away from saying what my favorite movie is because uh, of my, of my own, um, because I might pick one that is somebody else's least favorite Mm -hmm. Uh, for the same reason. I won't just like bag on the one that I think is horrible because I've found people who then like, Oh, I kind of liked that movie after you've like, Oh my God, if I had (laughs) never done this, and then they're like, Oh, I liked that movie. And now you've just kind of crapped on their dreams. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh, the guy who made it hates it. Oh, how can I? <laughs> um, so, I, but I, you know, you want a gateway movies or something. I suppose the ones that I've written and directed and usually been involved in producing, I think probably turned out better or more interesting, unusual kind of thing. You know, I, I was able to do things that weren't necessarily expected. Right. So, um, beyond dreams door, my first feature, um, which just came back out on Blu-ray. So what was old became new again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ghost Lake, which was the movie I came to Rushford to shoot, which was yep. after working for a number of other producers was the first thing I'd uh, directed and written and done. Plus the fact I was able to come to Rushford in this area, which I grew yeah. up in and make a movie. Uh, and then probably my most recent two features, uh, which are closed for the season, uh, which is also, they both have two titles. Uh, Close for the season, which is currently known as Carnival of Fear. Okay. 
uh, and then uh, Season of Darkness, now known as Asylum of Darkness, hmm. um, which some people see as being almost a kind of spiritual sequel to Beyond Dream's Door. It does have the same lead actor. You could almost say, well, this is what happened to that guy. It's almost like Beyond Dream's Door is not supposed to end this way. But if you say, well, the guy was just crazy and now he's been in asylum and it's 30 years later, which sounds like Norman Bates or Michael Myers. Uh, so people have made, have kind of connected those dots okay. for the shorts, uh, the birthmark. Um, but then I did a kind of black comedy short, uh, black humor is what I mean to say, um, yeah. because I did a movie recently with a largely African American cast, which also would be one of my favorites, uh, called womb at the top that I don't really show that much. which is a sort of parody or what a critique of like local news. Oh, <laughs> Anchorman. And I still hear people say some of the stuff, especially the way they handle obituaries and stuff. And, you know, the local news is like, you know, nobody just dies. They, right. It was horribly killed. Yeah. Is there a way to be not horribly killed? You know, it's never just a car wreck. It's a horrible car wreck or it's terrible or it's a yeah. vicious murder as opposed to a non-vicious murder. The, the adjectives they use to like hype the stuff. And, and then most recently I did this film called... Uh, first time machine, which is the first short I've done in a long time, which I shot uh, a year ago in August. Okay. It's just starting to go out to the festivals and hardly anybody's seen it yet, but it's based on a short story like the birthmark. Yep. Um, one I had to buy the rights to this time. It's a much more contemporary author. Um, so it was the first short I'd done in a while. And, um, I just thought, well, what is this story about time travel? And after I read it, I thought, well, I could make this, it would be done really easy, but why would I? And then I thought, well, what if the time traveler is the only, um, white character in it, which it's not like an alternate universe or anything. Yeah. It just it, it just added other things to the whole dynamic of the whole movie. Um, so those are my favorite. But those are the, my favorite. Those are the ones I would recommend somebody starting with. That's not to okay. say I disown movies that uh, I didn't have everything to do with. But if you force me to say something, those are the <laughs> ones that uh, turned out. Those are the ones I had the most creative control over. So I think maybe in some ways they're more of a whole. Right. They might that may make you like them less because it's <laughs> all weirder where somebody else where they sort of pasteurized me. It's like mm. so or, one of my proudest moments as a filmmaker is I was teaching a film class and I did this movie called Demonicus, which is a very uh it's about this gladiator who mm. comes back sort of um and uh, it was done very cheaply and very quickly um, for a company that then cut seven minutes out of it uh, without my involvement. Although you can get this, you can find the seven minutes on DVD. Uh, so it's this Gladiator movie. So I'm teaching this film class and um, there's Latin in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, the Gladiator always speak Latin before uh, Last Temptation of Christ. The same year we were doing it, another movie comes out with all Latin. Um, so I'm teaching this film class and during one of the breaks or whatever, one of the students, um, I didn't expect anybody to know that movie says that, uh, that he goes, uh, yeah, my, my brother has kind of a problem with that movie. So I'm kind of thinking he's like scared of it or something. Well, his brother had become like obsessed with the movie, which also oh, is really? your brother's probably in fourth grade or something. And, uh, so he got kicked out in the, in the movie, the gladiator says a famous thing, the gladiator say, which is ve victus. Mm-hmm which means woe to the vanquished. Okay. It's kind of like a thing, you know, like 
hut, you know, for football used to be. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a gladiator <laughs> thing. You go watch a gladiator, somebody better say they victus. Right. Oh, to the vanquished. So, when he said, so his brother had become obsessed with the movie in general. In an English class one day, I don't know what had happened, like shouted out, Vey Victus, and got kicked out of class. <laughs> I said, if my film career has resulted in a little kid shouting Latin and getting kicked out of his class because of it, then that's worth making. Right? That's worth you know getting up for in the morning and making movies. <laughs> um, that was the last movie I thought somebody would have seen or would bring up. You know? Yeah. I, I gave the kid a D. He'd never actually seen the uncut version, so... I signed a copy and say, give this to your, give this to your little brother. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> we, um, we, we do have to wrap up here, but, sure. but just, uh, just thinking if someone does want to see some of your films, they have an ample opportunity actually do. Uh, this evening to, to see it uh, at the library, right? You're, you're yes. premiering one of your, one of your films. I talked about the birthmark, which is one of the films being shown. Mm-hmm. Um, the birthmark was done as a short because we couldn't get a feature made, but it was done with an eye on trying to sell something. And since it was a literary adaptation, um, we all felt all of us who made the movie thought that, well, maybe we can get some distributor who sells films for English classes and libraries and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And that did happen. And, uh, one of the few other films, which was part of that distributor's catalog, the distributor came to us from a film festival and wanted to pick up our movie. Right. So I looked through their catalog and most of it's like the life of a frog fractions in you very dry, mm-hmm. but though they had this film, a hunger artist, which is a Franz Kafka story. Um, and then my film. So those films were released. And for years afterwards, I would occasionally see that film on various people's desks. You go to development places. And so, oh, okay. so I got to know that guy's name, John Streisick. Uh, Cause he just kept showing every job I'd go get. Like there's John Streisick's demo reel. Sometimes he got the job. Sometimes I got the job. Right. But I never met him. He was, so eventually I did meet him at a film festival. And, uh, and so weirdly those two films are together again. So he's become a very, very good friend of mine. Huh. After years, I've said, I've been stalking you for years. Cause <laughs> your name, I just kept seeing your name and people worked with you who I knew, but we never met. Right. So during COVID, John and I were looking for something to do. Just like everybody, I suppose. to a certain. And so he had this film he'd done uh, as a graduate student um, of The Hunger Artist, and I had The Birthmark, which originally had a distributor together. Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, these are both adaptations, blah, blah, blah. And I had this other film, which I had done, which few people have ever seen called He, which is adapted from a Gidi Maupassant story. Okay. So he was like, why don't we put these together as like a kind of literary pack? Um, we'll do little documentaries in between each movie mm-hmm. about the this original story, how it differs now it's the same and, and also the authors what they're how this fits into their work uh so he's let's so we figured out the way and we finally you know even though covid's been more or less behind us for a while it's right. finally done and this is the first time it's screening okay so it's he by Gidi Maupassant, a hunger artist and then the birthmark which was shot here in the pink house and in wellsville and in between each one is a little five to eight minute um you know, documentary. So it, we think it kind of flows. It'd be great to see it with an audience and see yeah. what they think. So this so it is like a, a world kind of, premiere. Kind of, yeah. Well, and John Streisand came up with the title, which is Twisted Lit. Okay. They don't necessarily have like a Twilight Zone kind of twisted. Maybe they do, but it's more, they're all really about obsession mm-hmm. and how these different characters become obsessed with different things that don't always turn out so well. <laughs> uh, so tonight, uh, seven o'clock. Seven o'clock at the auditorium. I will be in there. The, uh, library. Uh, I will be there to answer your questions about why the pink house is pink. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I have, and be love to just see how the audience reacts. You re- they'll really be the first audience. Are you going to you know. put a camera on the audience? 
So you I can, should. You should. Do you have one you can loan me? I do. Oh, you can use this that would one right be, here. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> so I'll be there to sort of talk about them a little bit. But yeah, it's really like a it's like a little film festival. There, it's combined, so it's an eighty-five minute mm-hmm. a block of shorts. Nice by two different guys who became good friends because they made two of the three films in the first place. Yeah. Um, well, Jay, I really appreciate you, um, you know, inviting me into your home here, uh, especially such an iconic home and, and meeting an iconic person now that oh, well. uh, <laughs> thanks. Uh, I you're told, in it, you're doing it. I t- well, thanks. I told people it's like, I've become an asterisk in film history at least. Yeah. This was a while ago. Maybe now I'm, I said, I want to make an exclamation point, but I remember the first like book, I, there were reviews published in magazines and they came away. Eventually there was like a real book, a book. And I was in it, but I was literally like an asterisk. And then like explained, you know, yeah, Jay made this one movie and that's kind of like these other ones. And that's it. That's all we'll spend time with them. Yeah. So it's, I'm an asterisk in a film history book. Right. <laughs> uh, is, is, is there anything closing out that you'd like to, uh, to say to the community um, about Pink House, about your films, anything? You know, in the age of streaming, you can find, you know, for 10 bucks, you could, or sometimes... Beyond Dream's Door, there were people trying to sell that movie for $500 before it got reissued. You know, so don't ever, but you can find my stuff. It's, you know, it used to be like, oh, where do I find your movies? Uh, there's jwolfle.com. Having a fairly unique name, you know, makes it pretty easy. People, how do I find you? Like, yeah. It's jwolfle, just Google jwolfle movie or jwolfle.com. And many of them you can find streaming on to be, I don't know if current, I have movies on Netflix I worked on, but um, anyway, I mean, the stuff's out there. Right. So if you're if one sounds interesting, you know, let your fingers do the talking, you know, and, and you can probably find them. Uh, Season of Darkness is uh, Sound of the Darkness is about to have a special edition Blu-ray coming out next year, so stream okay. it and then buy it for all the extras. Yeah, support, support. and the community. <laughs> I mean, uh, through making those couple movies here, Jordan, who's currently the caretaker, work on Ghost Lake. Okay. So I I stay I knew his family through that. Um, and my wife, Christy, through my mom, but through herself, has like made friends here from going to the Y and, and various things around town. So this is, you know, it is, it's one of our homes, you know, it's not. Yeah. And so we, you know, I certainly appreciate the community. And, uh, and it, it, you know, it feels like a community does too. Good. Well, I know the community is happy with everything that you're doing. And uh, we appreciate you and, uh, and your wife. And again, Thank you for having me in and thank you for coming on my podcast. You're welcome.